0: Jack McGuigan is a very fine poet and a marvelous storyteller, and we can just imagine the tales he told his young children about his youth. One such story stuck with his daughter Maureen, and when she decided to put some of her thoughts in written form out into the world, she remembered Papa Jack in his basement where he had a childhood clubhouse. He called his special space Cellar 5, C-E-L-L-A-R, 5, And the whole notion spoke to her about a creative corner of the world for her, as she puts it, to wax poetic, explore, celebrate friendship, share ideas, eat and drink and ponder the big picture, as well as laugh and wander. Here are some of her musings from her Cellar 5 blog. And she begins this installment with a quote. Sometimes I go about in pity for myself, and all the while a great wind carries me across the sky. And she explains this quote, attributed to the Ojibwe tribe, appears in episode three of the final season of The Sopranos, which I recently rewatched. The show that launched the anti hero dramas that we now take for granted is timeless in its exploration of individual choice, morality, and the mystery of why we're here. This sentence greets Tony Soprano as he's recovering after waking up from a life-threatening coma. It's written on a scrap of paper tacked among the get-well cards on the bulletin board in his hospital room. No one knows who put it there. The show has always explored questions of good and evil, dreams, and even the supernatural, but these themes permeate the final season. While in the coma, Tony wandered in a dream hovering between life and death, confronted by his choices. As he recuperates, he converses with another patient, a quantum physicist who speaks about non-duality and oneness. For Tony, this becomes a kind of koan, a strange or paradoxical phrase, question, or story used in the Zen tradition for meditation. He ponders if under an often brutal world, There could also be a benevolent presence. His life is a war, taking a spiritual and physical toll on him. He has power and money, yet he rages against things he feels are unfair. He makes terrible choices. He suffers panic attacks. He has killed people. He's not happy. As his dedicated therapist tells him, you are your own worst enemy. In a heartbreaking scene, she ends their therapy, She witnessed too many of these almost moments hoping as we did that he would have the courage to make a different choice. Yet Tony is not a sociopath. Compassion and empathy exist within him along with a sad glimmer of another life he could have led. Fans have debated the cocktail of circumstances that brought him to this place. Genetics, coupled with a lack of love leading to low self-worth, a borderline personality mother, and a violent father. Now he can only follow the path of least resistance, tethered to the gangster code. Truly evil characters exist on the show who derive sadistic pleasure from their violence and think only of their own base needs. They never explore the soulful questions that Tony does. We root for Tony because... Although we may not be violent criminals, we see ourselves in his struggle between what he is and what he could be. We, too, battle life, pity ourselves, and often act in our own self-interest, not attuned to the life outside of ourselves. We want him to find redemption because we want redemption. For the remainder of the season, he quotes the puzzling phrase to others as he continues to attempt to see through the veil. This is his tragedy. He is trapped in a net of nefarious habits which have become his fate. The wind calls to him over and over, but he can't truly surrender. Isn't this a koan for all of us, challenging us to reflect on how we live our lives? Don't we go about pitying ourselves when things don't work out? The job, the love, the finances, the novel we never wrote, and the list goes on. Don't we sometimes feel like illness, accidents, and other difficult things are somehow willed by the universe against us? Recently, I found myself sitting in despair outside my house on a warm spring day, ruminating over everything that wasn't working in my life. A breeze came, and with it, a different world. Forsythia, music of fluttering birds, the neighbor's pool, my weathered picnic table, all this under a vast blue with the wind breathing with me. I don't want to die having pitied myself. I don't want to be my own worst enemy. I want to surrender to something I don't completely understand, but trust. I won't always succeed. I will also be an anti-hero, but the wind will still be there. I hope sometimes I notice it. Thoughts of Maureen McGuigan from her blog, Cellar 5, from May of 2019. Art scene listeners perhaps know Maureen as Deputy Director for Arts and Culture in Lackawanna County, a post she's held for a number of years in which she and her department have had an enormous impact on the arts and cultural life of Lackawanna County and the greater region. Maureen is a terrific supporter and facilitator of other people's creativity in that role. What especially longtime WVIA listeners may remember is Maureen McGuigan as a high school student sharing her poetry here as part of the annual Poetry Minute series that we presented in cooperation with the Mulberry Poets and Writers Association. We are so pleased that the region will have a chance to take in the premiere of a new one-person show she's created that will be part of the 2023 Scranton Fringe Festival. Maureen McGuigan returned to the WVIA studios as a creative artist rather than as an arts administrator to talk about her new piece. And we began in the early days in the McGuigan household.
1: I grew up in an artsy household, which I love. It was always celebrated. Art and culture was just as important as, you know, the basics in life. So I'm very, very grateful for that. So poetry was my first love. And so, you know, my dad and I would play poetry games since I was like four. And then it's just something I was drawn to. I always kept a journal and I wrote poetry all through elementary, high school, college. Then I I actually started writing theater. So I went to get a master's in creative writing and focused on playwriting. I liked to write in a lot of genres and then I just you know I moved back here 20 years ago but I was very involved with that's one of the reasons why I stayed there was so much art happening so yeah I did a couple theater pieces that I know I was on here for we did some historical play on kind of women in the garment industry and other poetry readings and just a lot of art things were going on and I was I was still part of that and I guess I've, I've always still continued to write, but in a more administrative role. I hadn't been able to do a personal creative project. So I started a blog and then, but I don't know, something just emerged in me where as much as I think arts administration and being able to create things in the public is creative in its own way, it's different. So I just decided that, you know, after the pandemic, I really wanted to kind of do something.
0: You prepare us now for a piece that we'll get to take in at Scranton Fringe, and that's something that you and your administrator have been helping foster. Tell us what Scranton Fringe has meant to the region and
1: the reverse. Scranton Fringe is just a wonderful organization, and I'm so thrilled to work with them. If you haven't been able to attend the festival, it's just a potpourri of really interesting, experimental, fun, one-person shows, music, other, you know, larger theater pieces. There's things in the street. It's a two-week festival. I think when they started, they brought a whole element that maybe what I don't want to say wasn't there but something new it's just a different type of festival if you don't know fringe festivals are worldwide starting in Edinburgh so I mean for Scranton to have its own space where people can be creative and the community can come out and celebrate because they're generally shorter so you can see several in a, in a day and yeah I want to give a shout out to the fringe Connor O'Brien and Liz Bohan founded it and they just have a great team of people very professional. It's just a great thing to have. It's something different and just adds to our cultural landscape in a new way. And if you had the impulse to write something
0: post-COVID and at the same time thought of it as a theater piece rather than a collection of poems, how did the theme or the concept come to you?
1: You know, that's a great question because it's it's different. I uh, I like humor a lot and throughout my life, I, I have written some some humorous things, but you know, my mom is always like, you're so funny. You're like Mrs. Maisel. The t- I don't know if that's true. But anyways, I, I really thought I should use my humor. It's always been a, a way for me to deal with dark things in the world. I think that's what we do as humans. So originally I thought uh, maybe it'd be fun to do stand-up comedy, <laughs> but it kind of morphed into something... It is sort of like a one-woman show blended with sort of stand-up comedy, which I guess that's for the audience to decide if it's funny. But it just became this, it's storytelling, really. So it's a blend of actual things that have happened to me and sort of exaggerated things that have happened to me. I I love the power story and sharing my own story and and writing. It was kind of a healing process for me.
0: And are you, you, then,
1: before the audience, not a created character? exactly and I think that's what makes it a little bit different from some one person shows that are out there yes I am Maureen the character and like I said it is based on a a lot of my life as, through my interesting paths but yes it's me and then I'm sort of embodying the stories I am not you know I don't know if people are familiar with my little brother Connor McGuigan he is the true actor in the family so I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily an actress in that sense uh, There's so many skilled people around here who are extremely good at that, so I just felt I needed to be myself, and that's why I consider it more storytelling than character acting.
0: How about a sense of time in the course of the piece? Are we with you in the past, in the future? Do you move around time-wise?
1: Yes, it opens with me talking about my time in San Diego when I was in my early 20s, so it's, it's a story about a friend of mine who I found out passed away but I do I do take the audience on some journeys to different parts of my life again through looking at it the at the lens of where I am now and how that factors into your life and that blend of memory and time and the present all merging do you have a title for it yes uh it's called remember you must die a comedy <laughs> i know It's definitely a dark comedy ideal. I've always been a little, I figured I'd just put it right out there so people know what they're getting into. But the title actually comes from the translation of Memento Mori, which means Remember You Must Die and was started in Roman times. And then kind of through Middle Ages and Renaissance, if you've ever seen those paintings with skulls and dripping candles and flowers, but it's it's a reminder to to be present and live life. So I've always I've always liked that as a kind of philosophy. So that's sort of where the title is taken. Because I think death and the after, if, if there is an afterlife, I mean, all those questions, see, they're all getting muddled in my head already. They're, they're big questions in how we live our life. And, you know, it's sort of the great mystery of being human. And I think sometimes meditating on those things can be scary. And maybe we don't talk about them enough. But Ultimately, the play is joyful in the sense that I'm interested in how how do we live our best life and what makes life meaningful and, you know, navigating that. There are perhaps stereotypes about certain cultures.
0: For example, the Irish might tend to dwell on our mortality. And your household and your father, we know, has written some remarkable poems
1: about Ireland and the
0: place that he loves. And you probably have all traveled together there, have you?
1: Oh, yes. Ireland's been a big part of my life. And it does kind of show up in this piece. There is a scene based with character on my father. But in the Irish Celtic mythology, they talked a lot about thin places, which were times and actual physical places where they believed the dead could cross over and meet the living. So Samhain is the big Celtic festival, which occurs kind of it led to our modern day Halloween eventually. But that was a time when they believed that you could communicate with the dead. So there's this, yeah, in Irish culture and through all the, you know, many tragedies and such, there is this idea of of death and what that means. But again, that's the mystery too. Maybe there are those veils. And other cultures have that too, if we think of Dias Los Mortes. Day of the Dead in Mexico. Yeah, and it's the same idea, which that's actually a celebratory holiday too, that we're celebrating the person. And again, you have the altar to kind of lead the souls back, to their to their home during that time period
0: during the pandemic of course there were so many lives lost and people were not able to gather to say goodbye to have services and to even visit the dying
1: yeah I think that was really one of the the whole thing was terrible during the pandemic but that that sense of loss and not being able to say your goodbyes in, in that in that way was very hard being being removed. You had to find a way to say goodbye without, you know, being with the person, especially if maybe somebody, usually you could go to hospice and see the person or you could be at the funeral and that was all gone. And then there was just the larger loss of society being in a world that seemed to be falling apart and we were losing people and our whole way of life had changed and we were trying to establish connections with people. There is a scene where my book club is having their meeting on Zoom and we're actually reading a Zen uh, koan book. So a koan is a, a Zen parable that sort of doesn't make sense. They're like little, I won't quite call them puzzles, but they're meant to help you reflect on the uncertainty of life. So there's a scene, because I think we all tried to find things to help us cope, whether it was books or like a lot of happy hours on, on Zoom and those types of things. Is there a writer or are there writers, a poet or a playwright or a
0: novelist or someone who writes essays, who reflects in a way on those themes that you respect, that you turn to sometimes?
1: Well, Shakespeare shows up in this play too. I mean, I just feel like he is the master of writing about this topic. I mean, Hamlet has been a big influence in my life because that is the play about life and death and Hamlet frequently thinks about eternity and the afterlife and what happens and obviously has a lot of tragedy in his family with his uh, uncle murdering his father. So again, that's dark, but there's some great passages on that. So I, I think that's been, that was sort of a guiding thing in the play. I mean, there's, there's a, a lot of writers. Seneca, <laughs> you know, he has a whole book on how do we live. You know, he talks about every day. If we think about every day as a lifetime, maybe we'd live better. Like, beginning, middle, and end. So I know it's it. sometimes I feel morbid talking about this, but it's a topic that's fascinating me. It's the big questions. And how, how do you get through life knowing that? I mean, certainly faith is something for many people. And then you get into the science now, as we're trying to even live longer through technology and, and different things, and even new physics, energy. <laughs> it, it's just, to me, such an interesting thing and one that again, can help us live better, I think, when we think about this in this limited time. And what do we do with it? I mean, at times, it's made me a little crazy, because I think you can overthink. So I kind of deal with that in the play, too. I've had some mental health issues over the years. And again, comedy helps, you know, how do we laugh at ourselves? And back in my San Diego time, I interviewed the creator of Elf, if anybody remembers that 1980s TV show. He was actually having an art exhibit, but he said something that seems simple, but it really all comedy is born of pain. <laughs> I think we see that in a lot of writers, you know, that you take something that's hard in life and you can turn it into something that provides a connection with others or makes you like open up to your life that, yes, there are terrible tragedies we just talked about the pandemic and other things and it's not that you can laugh at everything but I think that there are some things that can help us heal through humor and that's why I do like dark humor in a way because if you just put something out on the table and you face it and you unpack it I think that can be very healing
0: and we have a nose are surrounded by distractions so many people are on their phones and not looking up at each other so we have ways to distract ourselves from our
1: mortality absolutely and you know now as much as i do love social media and instagram i think there's also this desire to want to put your perfect self online and sort of avoid some of the realities and i mean on the other hand the internet can be great to connect with others and, and google things and educate yourself but yeah having those deep honest conversations and that's another reason with the the play i'm hoping to spark other people to talk about this and be in a space where we can be vulnerable. You know, i think this piece is a very vulnerable piece and there's sides of me that maybe people will be surprised at. So i'm you know, there is that sort of nervousness but i think that we all have what we might think are weird <laughs> dark thoughts or confusions and i i think now one of the things coming out of the pandemic and just life changing in general as we are more open about mental health and talking about together that so that people don't feel alone.
0: What do you love about the theater? Is it the notion of being in the same space with the actors and the audience coming together?
1: Yes. And I I mean, I am a big fan of film and television, too. I think it's great in today's world. But but theater is that live space. There's an energy that you can feel and you can look out. And in my term, when I'm talking to the audience, you can look out and feel that connection. But when you have a a great actor or actress on stage you can you're just drawn into the character that's why it makes us cry it makes us laugh and the story and there's a three-dimensionality to it that you cannot get on a film. I mean film has other strengths it can make cuts and, and things like that but but theater it's all there and I think that that's really powerful and again that that connection we're not removed on a screen we're, we're in it but well, the audience is part of it, really. The audience is. Without the audience, it wouldn't be the same. Have you done this piece for anyone? So I, I did a private reading. Thank you to all my friends and family who I uh, invited to one of my favorite bars in Scranton, the Bog, very Irish, as uh, place my family frequents. So I did do a staged reading, which is helpful because. As much as I, you know, me as the writer, I also think about my audience. If you're performing and you're asking an audience to come and give up their time when they could be <laughs> distracting themselves, I, I want them to have a good experience. So getting feedback was very important because sometimes you're writing your piece and you love everything. or you know. <laughs> so that was really meaningful to me. So I just did one private performance. So this will be the debut. And this, I should add along with collaboration and getting input from others. I have a wonderful director, uh, Alicia Grega, who also acted as my dramaturg. I don't know if everyone knows that word, but that's having someone come and look at your script and be brutally honest, which helps. An earlier draft was not very good and she really helped me shape the stories. So we're also gonna have projection, which I think will help add to it. There are some historical things and like uh, different facts. I love facts and I try to delve into that. So we think having images will help people kind of just enjoy the show even more. And then I have Jason Smeltzer, who's probably been on here. (laughs) So he is a wonderful musician and plays the theremin. So he is doing music to it. And he has some other cool synthesizer things. So I think, again, the music and the image. I've always loved installation type art and projection. And so I see it as a multimedia piece, which I think will enhance it.
0: Where will you be and, and when?
1: So I will be the second week of the Fringe Festival in the junior ballroom at the Scranton Cultural Center. So that is the space on the ground floor. I have four shows. It will be opening October 5th. That's a Thursday at 8.30. Friday at 8.30 and then closing Saturday, October 7th. There'll be a 4 p.m. and an 8.30, p.m. show. I also want to encourage people to see other shows. You can buy tickets online. The scrantonfringe.org has them all listed. It's great. You can read about each one and, and see which ones you want to go to. And you can buy tickets there or you can buy them at the door. Would you tour it? You know, it's funny. I Yeah, I, I want it. I, you know, we spent a lot of time, our little collaboration and myself working on it. I, I'd love to take it other places. You know, this is kind of the first time I'm doing it with all the other elements and doing it fully on in front of a, an audience. So I, uh, I would if it fits somewhere. And again, I think that this type of piece can spark that dialogue. And, you know, if I can make people laugh and feel a little... I, I don't know just like again that they're not alone and that things aren't maybe that bad that that there are really hard things regarding life and death but we can get through them and being alive is a precious thing you know there's so much to enjoy and live life don't put things off hug that person you know and then also be okay if you have a bad day and you scream it, it's all part of it we don't have to be perfect either Maureen McGuigan poet, playwright,
0: and Deputy Director of Arts and Culture for Lackawanna County, speaking with us about her new one-person show, Remember You Must Die, a comedy that will be part of the 2023 Scranton Fringe Festival. The festival runs from September 28th through October 7th all over Scranton, and as we've heard from Maureen, her show will be offered in the second week at junior ballroom in the Scranton Cultural Center on the first floor. You can catch the show October 5th, 6th, and 7th. There are shows at 8.30 each night, and also a Saturday matinee on October 7th at 4 p.m. For more information about Maureen's show, and as you heard also, she wants to encourage us all to take in more of the creative programming put together for Scranton Fringe 2023, and we can find all the information we need at scrantonfringe.org, scrantonfringe.org. And we'll actually have a chance to speak with Connor O'Brien and ask him about what's in store this year, a little bit about the history of the festival, and that's still to come. But we wanted to bring you Maureen's conversation, especially since we're so delighted that We have her here in a role of creative artist rather than solely Deputy Director of Arts and Culture for Lackawanna County. So again, ScrantonFringe.org, ScrantonFringe.org.